Welcome to episode seven of Undefined with Josina Anderson, that being yours truly. First and foremost, I want to extend a quick thanks to those of you who've been supporting the show. I really, really do appreciate that. Even uh, my eight fans in Belgium, so some of you that are just scattered minutely across the world, I do appreciate that as well. You guys know that we usually have comedians that join us for the Rip the Headlines segment, Random S segment, in which we look at the headlines and review, joke on them, and some of the funny videos around social media. But we are not doing that this week. One of the reasons why I call the show Undefined is because it can change from week to week based on what I want to talk about. I also know that you guys have a variety of interests. So stay tuned. Upcoming in this episode, we're actually going to have a quick caucus on the state of the Democratic Party um, and transition in power with uh, some notables in the news industry. So stay tuned for that panel. But you guys also know that I've been trying to insert an insider report for my information around the National Football League. So with that, we're going to do a mini version of that now. So uh, upcoming right now is the Josina Anderson Insider Report. All right, so let's start off with the Cleveland Browns. Many of you guys know that running back Nick Chubb missed the last four games due to an MCL sprain that he suffered in Dallas against the Cowboys week four. I was designated to return uh, this week off of IR. I talked to a source on Thursday who told me, quote, Chubb has been looking very good in every which way. Uh, I'm told the expectation is that he will resume his role on Sunday, provided there are no setbacks. As far as the load that you can expect Chubb to have, uh, my understanding is that Chubb will run until He's tired uh, with the underlining being on that he looks very good. So we will see how that uh, transpires. One of the things I also wanted to share from my conversations this week is that it was brought up that the Browns went 2-2 two and two in Chubb's absence. Uh, and in that four-game span, they had their four lowest rushing totals. And so the chatter has kind of been in terms of assessing in Chubb's absence, you know, what that has to to do with and how they're evaluating certain things, um, not necessarily pertaining to Kareem Hum, but Kareem Hunt rather. But behind that, we know that Dearness Johnson uh, had rushing totals of 32, 1, 3, and 6 in those four games, never had more than eight attempts. Dontrell Hilliard had a game in which he had four carries for 29 yards, uh, had special team uh, opportunities outside of that. Obviously, not much of uh, opportunities between the both of them. My understanding is that some of that has to do with a little bit of uncertainty as to what they feel like they're getting behind Kareem Hunt. Uh, there is some sentiment in terms of thinking as to whether they should bring in some additional talent uh, in the running back arena off the street. Um, I don't think that's really likely when you just look at the trends that we saw when the team needed help in the secondary, uh, didn't really get that via free agency, street free agency, and via trade, uh, preferring to let guys heal up. I feel like it'll be kind of the same patience here unless attrition forces the team's hand. Uh, at any rate, something to look out for. Uh, the Texans will be coming to Cleveland to pray to play the Browns, rather, at 1 p.m. So now we'll move on to the Saints. I did talk to a source there um, who really kind of wanted to get into uh, how they played against the Bucks. So I'll share that conversation. Uh, we know that actually the Saints have the San Francisco 49ers at 4.25 p.m. on Sunday Eastern time. But in reviewing that game against the Bucks, we know that Tom Brady's coming off one of the worst games that he had arguably in his career with the QBR of 3.8, three interceptions to zero uh, touchdowns for the first time since 2000. 
and six. And I think it's about time that the Saints defense get a little bit more credit. And from the sentiment I got from my source, he was like, yes, I do believe that is the case because when we played the Bucks the first time, people were saying um, the Bucks weren't ready. We played them this past Sunday. People were saying, oh, it's because they're out of sync with Antonio Brown. He said, how about you guys just say that the Saints defense came to play? So guess what? Saints defense came to play. Now, one of the things that the source said was that they feel like in their estimation that the secondary in particular came to play with the chip on their shoulders saying it's about time that we play the way we feel like we can and that is to be dominant when i asked if there were any trends that they saw on film that contributed to them being able to get pressure on brady's dropbacks uh 46.3 percent of the time compared to the 14.8 percent that they were getting in their first eight games they said listen Anybody out there could have been nameless and faceless. It all had to do with how we were playing, the same sentiment that they had as far as the matchup against Antonio Brown. They came into the game uh, wanting to match up. Marshawn Lattimore was on him a little bit. Janoris Jenkins got most of those snaps there. Um, besides the fact that the, there was a notation of playing with better technique and being more aggressive in terms of high-pointing the ball, it was the same thing just in saying that it didn't matter who they were defending, they came ready to play. So the realization there being that they don't have to be extraordinary in order to be dominant. They just have to be solid and stay within their assignments. And that is what they're hoping to see when they play at San Francisco again at 425 p.m. Eastern. So... We're going to talk about the Bills next, and guess what? I did hear from a source that they felt like the most consistent player on their defense is defensive end Jerry Hughes, and guess who's coming up next, who I'm talking to for my Third Eye interview? That guy, Bills defensive end Jerry Hughes, coming up next. So we are pleased to welcome none other than Bills defensive end Jerry Hughes into the Undefined with Josina Anderson studio. Jerry, thank you for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> Always happy to be here. Well, you know, the last time I interviewed you, I was in your car. I think it was in Buffalo. We were supposed to do an interview, and then you had some oil problems. Um, I didn't have to get out your car and start pushing your car, but um, I heard you were having a little car issues um, yesterday. Um, uh, uh, why, why is it every time I talk to you, you have some car issues? <laughs> it's got to be some. I, I was just thinking the same thing, you know. It must be something in the area. I had a small little engine trouble. I took it up with the... Uh, dealership i should be good to go you know i i like to stay on top of things mm -hmm. with my car you know that you yes know, i do i have any type of emergency flashing or if, even if the engine sounds weird i like to nip that in the bud real quick yeah because i know because you asked me how strong my deltoids were so I, i'm quite hey. familiar <laughs> sometimes you got to go old school you know use a little muscle uh use a little muscle okay all right now you trying to break my nails so here we go i want to know how does it feel first and foremost to just be seven and two especially since it's the franchise's first such start since 1993 when jim kelly had led the team uh it's, to its fourth straight super bowl it's a real good feeling you know uh the morale in the building is certainly high uh you can just see the way guys are interacting with each other with the um coaching staff you know i tell a lot of guys we haven't been here in this position uh so you know take advantage of it enjoy it and you can see Guys still, you know, jumping in their playbooks, trying to find ways to get to win number eight. So, I mean, we're excited to be in the position that we're in right now, but guys want more. And I like seeing that in this building. I like that hunger. I like how everyone is still going about 
business trying to be playoff caliber. So you guys are in the midst of a three-game stretch that includes facing offenses that are the top ten in terms of yardage. That included Seattle. You guys just beat them 44-34. You got Kyle Amari and the Cardinals and then Justin Herbert and the Chargers. And I'm just curious, was there anything that you saw uh, in the tape leading up to the game, even going back to the game against Russ, that allowed you all to be successful in terms of the tweaks that you had in your game plan uh, particularly the, that you also think could carry over against uh, Kyler Murray and the, and the Cardinals? Uh, you know, we, we just talked about it up front. We know we got to stop the run. We know um, coming in, playing against the Cardinals with Kyler Murray, he's very elusive, you know, him and Drake back there in that backfield. So for us up front, it's going to be corralling those guys, trying to s stop that run, treating him very similar to uh, Russell Wilson, you know, staying on your feet, being aggressive in your pass rush, but really just trying to keep him from not being too explosive, which is really hard to do because, I mean, it, when you cut on his tape, he's all over the field, throwing the balls, uh, making explosive runs. Yeah, and, and just to get a little bit more specific about that, because I know that the Seahawks still put up 34, but what you guys were able to do is to get Russ to commit four turnovers. So specifically, was there anything that you did that you felt like, from a schematic standpoint, put yourselves in that position to be able to do that, that you will – then even from a scheme standpoint that you think will work against a quarterback that might even be faster? I think those guys on the back seven did a fantastic job of disguising their coverage, talking about it on the sideline, um, really focusing in on what we were getting attacked with during the game. And you could see a, a lot of the guys in tennis was up during halftime, just trying to figure out the little nuances that the offense was coming at after us. If it was with the offensive line, they're hanging on to their double teams a little bit longer or for the back seven, the type of route concept. So for us, really, it's going out there, starting the game off fast, but then come halftime, figuring out how teams are attacking us so we can tighten up our coverage and tighten up the way we rush and attack you. And obviously, I know you don't, you know, study Kyler Murray all year round, but is there something that you can specifically say that you've seen uh, evolve in his game from year one to year two that stands out in your film review? The way he's going through his checks, he's actually going through all the receivers trying to find that open target. Uh, last year, it was a little bit more of if Fitz wasn't open, bring the ball down and run. Now, uh, Hopkins is his number one guy. So, you know, if Hopkins is the number one, he's still going through and looking for Fitz, looking for other people to get the ball to. And you see him spreading the ball around to the uh, receiving court, especially come uh, two minute. Larry Fitzgerald is his hot guy. So, uh, for us, we see his game is developing greatly just because of the way he can make plays with his legs. Uh, so we got to be on our toes. It's going to be like playing Russell Wilson 2.0. So we, we know it's going to be a tough task for us just because those guys will be at home and they don't want to lose again. I, I tell people that in the NFL, very rare do teams lose two in a, two in a row. So we know coming off a loss, we're going to get their best shot. So we got to answer that call. I'm curious, did you see anything in the way that the Carolina Panthers played uh, Kyle Murray and the Cardinals and keeping them to just their lowest 21 points that you can use or from anything else that you saw in um, any of the other games that you watched in your game film? Uh, I like the way the uh, Panthers went after him, you know, from the first quarter to the end of the game. Uh, just the front four went out and they took their best shot, trying to figure out ways to get past uh, mm -hmm. Beecham and 
Humphrey so they could get to Murray and just disrupt that timing that quarterbacks and wide receivers have. So I like the fact that they were just very ag aggressive and wasn't really waiting for him to make a move with his legs. It was more so they were taking their shot and then uh, waiting for him to react. So I, th I think for us, that's something that we could take just because we like to play aggressive and we like to have an offensive mindset whenever we play defense as far as figuring out ways to force turnovers to give our offense great field position or if we can go ahead and score that uh, touchdown. So I think watching Carolina and the way that they maneuvered, coming after them, pinning your ears back, not really want to sit there and be a quarterback spy and let everything develop, make him uncomfortable. The way Burns was uh, attacking that offensive line, it's got to be where you're just throwing off his timing. Mm -hmm. And who on the defense has the fastest wheels to chase after Murray? <laughs> oh, probably Tremaine. Uh -huh. Tremaine Edmonds. Uh, yeah. Dude runs like a 4-4, so we don't have anything to worry about with our middle linebacker being 6-5 and can run a 4-4. He's running down all quarterbacks. <laughs> now, Soros told me uh, in speaking about the defense that they feel like you've had the most consistent play on the unit. So even though though you guys are 7-2, and two, I'm curious, how would you assess the play of the defensive unit uh, thus far through the season? Uh, you know, we started off a little rocky, you know, uh, the first – couple of weeks where we were trying to figure ourselves out, figure out uh, how we were going to put this team together just because we didn't have an off season, didn't really have a spring training or anything like that. But, you know, it's always best to play your best football in November and December versus the uh, earlier months. So how would you kind of characterize the impact of losing Jordan Phillips, Shaq Lawson to free agency last year, um, obviously Star Latule, um, Latulale opted out, and then you guys lost Matt Milano, especially when you think of the fact that last year you guys were ranking second in fewest points allowed and third in yards allowed in 2019. Those are huge losses. I mean, those are dogs you want on the field hunting with you. You mean, I mean, Shaq, Jordan, Matt Milano, all three can impact a game, can change it greatly. So, I mean, anytime a defense or any team is missing keep pieces like that, it's going to hurt. But, you know, for us, it's the next man up. And for watching guys who come in the building early, put in all the prep throughout the week, and then get their opportunity on Sunday, like, dang, he goes out there for the Jets, or I should say against the Jets, and he gets a pick. He's stepping up whenever he gets his name called. When you see people like Zim, you know, he gets his name called, and he goes out there and ends the game versus the uh, New England Patriots. So our coaching staff and our scouts have done a great job of finding this talent to put guys in this building who can play football. So what are the ways you guys to trying to find to generate pressure just from the line without having to add the blitz? Uh, for us up front, it's G2X. How can we get to the spot? How can we get to the quarterback as quick as possible? That's something that our D-line coach, Eric Washington, has been preaching with us all the way back in April. So for us, it's working on our hand moves, working on different ways that we can attack an offensive lineman studying our opponent. He's been great with just filling us up with uh, different techniques that we can use for our advantage, for our skill set. So I think for us, pinpointing on our abilities, putting in that extra work for our individual meetings has really been helping us out. So what impact do you feel like the losses against the Chiefs and the Titans had on you guys mentally when you're talking about comparatively as measuring sticks when you look and reflect back on them now? 
we've come to learn as a front that in order for us to win games, we have to come out there and we have to show up. We got to stop the run. And both of those two losses, we didn't do so. And so the outcome was the way it was. And so guys are starting to realize that, you know, we're a young room, a lot of new faces in this building, but I try to remind them, you know, the way that we win games here in Buffalo, New York is with the defense, is with the guys up front. We are the uh, tip of the spear. So with that being said, you got to show up every game and you got to be, you got to be that dog. You got to, you got to have that mentality of you're going to get it done. And it, it doesn't matter who's in front of you. It doesn't matter how many people are in front of you. You just got to go do it. And so once we get that mentality and we're slowly getting it, we're developing it. I like that we're getting it now later on versus having it early on, then losing it. You get that mentality. You're going to be a, a deadly team come uh, playoff time. So I know you guys are seven and two, but do you really feel like this team feels like they are seven and two and that they belong amongst the AFC elite? Do you feel like that sense of belonging has come yet? Definitely, definitely. We definitely feel like we belong. The question is that we always say after we watch the game film is why aren't we playing better? So with that challenge that we have week in and week out, we know we belong, but we got to go out there and put our best foot forward. We still have yet to put our best game on tape. And so there's always been some things where I'm making an inside move and I'm causing the quarterback to flush and too early and I'm throwing the coverage off and things like that. So we know we haven't played our best game, but we're seven and two. And once we can put it all together, then we can show people what the real Buffalo Bills looks like. Jerry, you've been here since 2013. You've been through four head coaches. And so I'm curious if you can put into words the imprint, even from an example that you have, whether it be practice, game, meeting rooms, after, as a man-to-man -man conversation, that the imprint that Sean McDermott has specifically had that you've witnessed on this team. Oh, man, since day one of him coming into the building and leading us to the uh, playoffs his first year, I know we fell short to Jacksonville that year, but the way he changed the culture, his message, uh, playoff caliber you know every day needs to be a playoff caliber day and that resonates with you just as far as when you're waking up what are you doing to make sure that you are your best person today and I think putting that into guys heads especially in, in our building we have a lot of young players who need to be developed early on I think that was the great the best message you could put because now you see guys showing in early trying to find what little extra they can to be better than what they did the following day and when you can come into an organization and change that culture and have that quick of a turnaround where guys are buying in, guys are listening, that is key. And I think he was able to grab our ear from the simple fact that he's coming from a Super Bowl contending team. He's He's been everywhere that every person wants to be, playing for a division championship, playing in the playoffs and playing in the Super Bowl. So we have our guy, we have our captain. Now it's up to us to listen. And you can see guys are doing it. You see Josh, you see Tremaine. You see guys buying in. You can see the results. And mm -hmm. that's what we're seeing right now. You see my, my dog jumping into the shot. I, <laughs> hey, she heard playoff caliber. She heard too. playoff like, caliber. And she said, okay, she's trying to be a part of the, the, the Bills right. fan base. <laughs> I like that. You need another You need another, another one? You need mafia. another one? Okay. Not? 
Okay, well, now, she's now part of the build. And look, she's getting all excited now. And speaking of Josh <laughs> Allen, real quick, I obviously want you to talk about your quarterback. He is now third ranked uh, in the NFL as a passer, uh, 19 touchdowns to five interceptions. And I'm curious if you can think of a moment in which you felt like he came to his maturation, whether it be this season or, or whenever, when you said, you know what, that's when you saw him level up. Oh, last year in the playoffs, going back and forth with him and Deshaun Watson, that was exciting to watch just because on defense we wanted to just keep giving him the ball back to see what they can, to see what our offense can do. But watching him grow up in, a, in that hostile environment, commanding our offense, a playoff game on the road, I know we fell short, but it was everything you wanted to see in your quarterback. You know, he was pushing the ball downfield with his, with his arm. He was making plays with his legs. So I think watching that game, I knew the following season coming up, it was going to be huge. He, he was going to go out there and he was going to take the league by storm. And so everything that he's doing this year, I mean, we saw it from our end. We knew that he was going to be something special because he can make every throw on the football field. He has the arm to do so. And he has the strength. I mean, we've seen him stiff on linebackers. We've seen him <laughs> outrun people. So, I mean, he can hit or jump over you. I mean, yeah. with the... With the Kid up I know. So, I mean, he's explosive. He's electrifying for us on defense. We just want to find ways to keep giving him the ball because he keeps feeding those targets and they keep making plays. So you would pick that game last year over this past game against the Seahawks in which, you know, he was able to have an emotional performance after learning that his uh, grandma had passed and also uh, tied for his uh, career high in terms of 415 passing yards. Was it really tied for career? I felt like he hit it 400 earlier this year. Uh, the 415 mm. was a tie. Okay, man. I mean, I knew, like I said, I knew he was going to have a career year this year. He was going to be explosive off of all the charts. Like I said, when you can go in a hostile environment in a playoff game and not bat an eye, not waver, you know, go blow for blow with somebody, come the next year he's going to be ready and he's been ready. He's been answering all the big calls, all the big games. So it's been exciting because every big challenge that's been put in front of him, he's been answering it. Last few here. So on the hype meter, if a number one is a sloth and a number 10 is flavor Flav, how hype would you say, <laughs> how high would you say that Josh Allen is to go into the game against the Cardinals and just have that matchup and for people to assess them? Obviously, I know he doesn't go up against the, you know, Kyler Murray himself, but you know people yeah. will make that comparison Ooh. in that game. Oh, I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to put anything in the atmosphere, put a number on it to mm -hmm. say he's going to do anything. I want us to tune in and watch him work. I mean, it's it's wonderful. It's, it's beautiful the way our offense is working right now. I don't want to jinx him. I don't want to call out. A, I don't want to put a cap on him. I don't you don't believe in superstitions and rabbit tails Man. and wear the right socks. Come on now. We eat the same food on Saturday now. <laughs> Which is Ever what? since we got Which on what? this road. What, what you been eating on Saturdays? Uh, we put we put away all the sweets and everything, so uh -huh. we go with fruits uh -huh. and we go with a little milk and some oatmeal cookies. We don't put away the You the, put away the sweets the and talk sweets. about you eat oatmeal cookies? That is not putting away the sweets. <laughs> We're making progression now. Put a, put away the ice cream and chocolate chip. Bring uh -huh. out the oatmeal. So oh, it's at least that's what's healthy. doing it? Okay. We, we at least got raisins. You substitute the raisins for the chocolate <laughs> chip. I feel like that's at least, that's got to help somewhere. Okay, somewhere. well, at least tell me your own personal goal for the game that you would like to see. I know you got 
uh, what, four sacks in the last three games, you know. So what's your personal yeah. goal going into the game against the Cardinals? A, a win. Mm-hmm. A win and a couple of interceptions for our secondary, man. Mm-hmm. I want us to go out there and have a nice game on the defense. I want everybody to go have fun. I know I'm going to have fun just because I'm playing football, but yeah. I want the secondary to have have a day. Three uh-huh. picks. Maybe someone runs one back for an end zone or a touchdown so we can get on camera and they can get the dance they've been practicing. They've been practicing this dance for so long. So hopefully what we'll dance? finally what get dance? to see it. What dance? We'll finally get to see it. I would, hate to, I would hate to reveal it. It's it's their end zone dance. They have oh. an end zone dance ready. So oh, when you've been no. putting in the work and, oh, and the no. two-step, oh, I'm what, excited what, what, what to see. What are we going to so, see? Is it the Temptations two-step? Mm. Is it is it the Tina Turner? Da, 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 da. I mean, what 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 are we, what are we seeing? It's a little <laughs> bit of like Soul Train oh. mixed with New School. Oh. I say that. Okay. Almost like a TikTok. Almost like a Tiki Tok, as they call it. Oh, <laughs> Lord. Okay, okay. We'll definitely look forward to that. Hopefully it won't be yeah. something embarrassing. Last question <laughs> here. Um, speaking of personal goals, um, it was very important to you to provide uh, internet to underprivileged kids in Buffalo. Um, ownership also got involved in terms of helping out there monetarily. Uh, you also were instrumental in providing meals and support uh, to people in Buffalo, particularly frontline workers. So can you just talk about why that was important for you to do? Absolutely. You know, uh, we heard as a team that uh, with dealing with COVID and everything like that, a lot of kids in the inner city of Buffalo would uh, be would have, oh, I'm sorry, would be forced to attend school or participate in school without having internet. And we knew that that'd be impossible for them to achieve any type of learning or to continue their educational process. So we felt like, especially me, that they needed to have internet. Education is probably the most important thing to have, to for you to have any type of advancement, not only in this country, but in this world. And so we know that um, a, a lot of people who, look like me are, um, don't have the same resources as some of the other kids who live in um, some of the nicer areas or some of the suburbs areas that uh, are out here in New York. And so I felt like finding out a way or figuring out a way so that they can, can continue school, continue their educational process. So that way they're not forced to do anything extra. They can just focus on school and learning. That is key. It was huge that Terry and Kim stepped up to the plate and they matched our donation um, to the city of Buffalo. So that way everyone can get the internet, uh, which is fantastic. Well, listen, we definitely appreciate you joining us and and Bill's defensive end, Jerry Hughes, coming into the Undefined with Josina Anderson Lounge. And you have us looking forward to this mystery dance that we're going to see from the secondary. And we know now that your oatmeal cookies are, you know, part of all these positive vibes that you're having. So definitely thank you for coming and joining me uh, on my show, Jerry. Hey, thanks for having me. Make sure y'all tune in. Got that nice dance coming. Oh, you got that nice dance coming. And coming up next, guys, we have a quick caucus on the state of the Democratic Party with Bakari Sellers, Joe Lockhart, and Brian Kahn. So we appreciate you, Jerry. All right, thank you. All right, thank you. All right, so we are joined by CNN political analyst Bakari Sellers, who's also a former representative of South Carolina's 90th district former White House press secretary and CNN political analyst, Joe Lockhart, who of course was also a member of uh, the NFL in terms of being the vice president of communications. 
and managing editor of Earther and Columbia professor in climate and society, Brian Kahn. Welcome all of you. I'm gonna make sure, can you guys hear me okay? All good. Yeah. All good. Okay. All right, I'm gonna take off because I'm getting feedback in my ear. So as long as you guys can hear me, then great. Um, first of all, I wanna welcome you to this quick caucus that we're doing on the state of the Democratic Party and also the transformation of power. So really quickly, guys, I wanna just start from the fact that you know, right after former Vice President uh, Joe Biden, uh, who is now president-elect, obviously, uh, came into office or is having that transition, which some of Republicans dispute, um, there's been many fault lines in the Democratic Party and the two ideological wings, especially after losing some seats in the House and obviously the ongoing struggle to maintain control of the Senate. So, Brian, you recently did an article for your publication, Earther, uh, entitled The Green New Deal Didn't Sink Democrats. You did a deep dive as to whether uh, the GND had an impact on races around the country, which uh, Congresswoman uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez retweeted. So can you just uh, discuss quickly the call uh, between House Democrats that um, added to this debate and also a summary of the data that you collected as well? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's been this kind of debate uh, between the centrist wing of the Democratic Party and the more progressive wing about, you know, who's to blame for some of the losses they had in the House versus also, you know, why did Joe Biden win the election? Uh, so what I wanted to do was take a dive into the data and actually see, you know, who won, who lost, um, what the deal was. And, you know, one of the flashpoints has been, you know, centrist Democrats complaining about, you know, having to run against folks um, that are claiming they, you know, wanted to fund the police or, you know, they support a radical Green New Deal, that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, let's see, was the Green New Deal actually a political loser? Decided to dive into it. And the reality is that, you know, it wasn't a loser. Um, of the 93 people that were running for re-election on the Green New Deal that were co-sponsors of the original resolution, uh, only one of them lost re-election, and that person lost a pretty tight race in Florida. So, you know, at the end of the day, even in the swing districts where these were representatives in swing districts supported the Green New Deal, they won their races. So it doesn't look like, you know, on its face at least, that the Green New Deal is a big loser. And in fact, it was a political winner for these folks to retain their seats in the House. So, Bakari, can you kind of jump in here as to whether you feel like uh, progressive uh, policies had an impact on the outcome of the races in uh, the Democratic uh, races around the country? So I actually think that there's a great deal of truth in both sides of this debate. I actually wish that we would spend more time and wait on an autopsy as Brian began to do, as more numbers come out, so we can actually know what we're talking about as we go through these things. I think that there was just a lot of bitterness on that call. But I will tell you this, I don't think that defund the police destroyed uh, or sank Jamie Harrison in South Carolina. I don't think the Green New Deal sank candidates across the country. Mm -hmm. I also know that the politics of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who I love and adore, is not going to work in the 1st Congressional District of South Carolina, and it's not going to work in the 5th Congressional District in Virginia. But we are a big tent, right? And I think that AOC made comments that we have to take to heart, which is that you can't run campaigns like we used to. You can't run these uh, you, you have to be, uh, you, you have to have these digital targeting uh, messages that directly talk to the people on the ground. And to Brian's point, we can't let the Republican Party define who we are and say, oh my God, they defined us as this, that's why we lost. So I, I look at it as, as, as both sides need to kind of, you know, understand what the other side is talking about. There's no need to alienate or scream. I think there was a great deal of value in what AOC said, but I also believe that you know, we, we are a big tent party and some of those policies are, are not uh, going to win in different parts of the state. And that's fine. But you have to begin. Democrats have to begin to tell people 
what they are, who they are, and what they stand for, not just what we're against. And I think that that is a larger theme that we can take away. Defund the police and the Green New Deal ain't the reason that no candidate lost. And we just have to do a better job of articulating our message. Well, Bakara, you mentioned defund the police right there. Uh, Joe, I know that uh, Majority Whip James E. Clyburn uh, reportedly was issuing a warning on this call uh, saying, if we're going to run on medicine for all and defund the police and socialized medicine, we are not going to win. Um, I'm just curious what you think about uh, this line from James E. Clyburn. Well, I mean, I, I, I want to echo Bakari's uh, comments. Um, mm -hmm. Both sides are right when they say <clears throat> they elected uh, Joe Biden. Uh, if you look at the, the numbers, uh, without the Green New Deal, I don't think young people would have shown up in the numbers that they did. Um, and without some of uh, Joe Biden's more moderate positions, he wouldn't have cut into white men voting for um, uh, uh, Donald Trump. That was a very significant shift, you know, to cut into that lead. So everybody's right. And everybody... Every, everybody knew we were going to have this fight um, because uh, it is a big tent party. Um, you know, I, the only thing I've questioned on any of the people, and I'll say this to AOC and I'll say it to Jim Kleinberg, is the timing. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, AOC is right that a lot of Democratic candidates do not do um, uh, digital as well as they should. Um, and, you know, I think Jim Clyburn's right when he says that, you know, talking about defund the police without context um, is something that, it, you know, hurts some Democrats. Um, so, you know, there's plenty of time to do this, but we're going to have this fight. Uh, we should have, it's healthy uh, to work out where we can agree and where Democrats can disagree. And there's no way around it. I, you know, I, let me just comment briefly um, yep. because I, I, missed, I missed this point. Like the Green New Deal, Brian will probably tell you this, is a brilliant name for any policy. Right. I mean, that's that's great. I mean, it, it harkens back to FDR and the future. You're like you can't get around that. Defund the police is a horrible slogan okay. because I have to explain what it really means. OK, anytime, as somebody who's run for office, Joe's message, Brian has written more and written better articles than I could probably imagine. And we can all pr pretty much tell you that anytime you're explaining something like that in politics, you're losing. I agree with that. But I also know it's not the reason we lost an election. So I'm just getting a little bit of a, uh, echoes. I just wanted to make sure, can everyone hear clearly? Yeah, sure. We hear yeah. each other great. Okay. I just want to make sure, cause I'm getting a little bit of an echo, but I just also wanted to kind of jump on that Bakari too, because I know some people are trying to make, uh, making the distinction that defund the police is not a party slogan. It's an activist driven slogan. Do you guys agree on that? I mean, I personally think, I mean, you know, climate's my area of expertise, but you know, an understanding the way that these things kind of intersect me, yeah, like that's what we're seeing is defund the police is a is an activist slogan. Are there people, you know, in office that believe in that and want to find a way towards that? I think yes, but I think that, you know, that again speaks to the fact that, you know, Democrats do need to define themselves at the, you know, at that federal level a little better than they have because the fact that, you know, the general public doesn't seem to get that defund the police is an activist ass and not something that's being led from the top down. It's a bottom up thing. And, you know, Republicans were able to kind of take advantage of that. So, Joe, how would you kind of describe the concerns over who's wielding power in the House? I know some people have been talking about the reinforcements that have been added to uh, progressives with the addition of uh, Jamal Bowman, uh, 
Cori Bush and Marie Newman. And then obviously some people have talked about concerns over people like uh, former Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel being added to the Biden-Harris administration. So just what do you think about that? Well, I, you know, the in the House every two years, they have to re-up the leadership team. Uh, that's will be no different this year. Uh, I would say that what Nancy Pelosi has been able to do over the years is accurately reflect her caucus uh, and lead her caucus. Uh, and that's what she'll do this time. I, you know, I, I would never bet against her. Um, she is a master of legislative. And, and if the caucus is more progressive, she will move um, you know, her leadership to reflect that. If the caucus is more conservative, she'll make sure that she accommodates those people. Uh, but, you know, the one person who I think we don't have to worry about not understanding the dynamic in the party, particularly in, in the House of Representatives, is Nancy Pelosi. To that point, Nancy went around and campaigned for many of these individuals who are part of the quote unquote left side of the party. I love Nancy Pelosi. I think her record speaks for herself. She's going to go down in history as one of the greatest speakers of all time. However, I do think that Akeem Jeffries needs to be the Speaker of the House. I mean, I think that every now and then you have to change. You have to become... You, I mean, you, you can't just do the same thing over and over again. And with all due respect to, to Brian and Joe sitting here as a millennial, I will tell you um, that our, our party leadership is just too old. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, Jim Clyburn, Steny Hoyer, Chuck Schumer, Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden. You know, you, when you think about the Democratic Party and its leadership, we have to allow for some youth to come in. And so that's where I land. I, I don't, and I don't mean that as any disrespect um, or ageism. I just think that we have to catch up with the democratic, demo, uh, we have to catch up with the demographics of the country. And my last point, and this is a very visceral feeling for me, is I don't want, uh, and, and I, I'm not sure that Rahm Emanuel, I thought it was Rahm Emanuel's brother, but uh, if his Rahm Emanuel um, is a part of the White House, then I have, a, I have a huge problem with that. I still have a bone to pick with Rahm Emanuel about Laquan McDonald. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I listen, I, I totally agree on Hakeem. I remember sitting with him now, it was probably eight, eight or nine years ago and coming home and uh, uh, telling my wife, I think I just talked to the next speaker of the house. I mean, he's just, <laughs> is that is that good. Um, is Nancy going to step aside this time or is she no. going to be forced out? No, <laughs> but I, I, but Bakari's right on. I think, um, uh, he will be the heir apparent, and that is the right thing, both from age, both from you know bre breaking down more barriers, which Democrats have to do. Do you think that there are middle ground issues that can bring uh, both wings together, whether it be increasing minimum wage or other things that you guys can point to? I think there's lots of things, in increasing minimum wage, infrastructure. I think repealing the tax bill that you know really was a corporate giveaway. Uh, so has support all across the Democratic Party. Uh, so there's lots of things uh, they can do. You know, COVID, uh, the approach to COVID and, and dealing with that, that is an issue that the Democrats um, all agree on. Uh, and, you know, so that's it, it goes to the point that both Brian and Bakari is, uh, have, have made, that Democrats have to get off the what our differences are and start talking about what we're for and what uh, you know, the new president is going to be able to push through. I'm Brian, add, you just, go ahead, I'm go a, ahead, No, I wanted want to throw to Brian, but I'll let Brian go and then I'll jump in. I mean, like uh, you know, even, even on climate stuff, I think you know, there's a lot of this. At least in you know mainstream media, I mean, there's a lot of like it's Green New Deal or it's nothing, and you know there are these factions. But the reality is, I mean, there's a lot of overlap between climate plans that mainstream Democrats have put forward 
through the House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis last year and the Green New Deal. And so I see, you know, I mean, whether it's things like, you know, infrastructure funding that's green, Civilian Conservation Corps, but for climate, which is, you know, just wildly popular across the, you know, entire spectrum of the Democratic Party and even Republicans. I mean, there are tons of ways you can still do amazing work on climate and get things done without having to have this huge ideological throwdown over the Green New Deal or bust. Yeah, my only addition was going to be marijuana. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I uh, actually added an amendment in the Democratic platform. It got the most, uh, got the most yes votes of any amendment that got defeated, but marijuana um, although this is not in the direction of our president-elect and we're going to follow him, but I do think that he's going to be pushed, 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 even by the House um, and the Senate on, on becoming more progressive on marijuana. And I expect marijuana to be something that's rescheduled um, and uh, taxed appropriately uh, so that we can have some recourse from the war on drugs. Okay, and switching to the topic of the transition in power, I'm just curious, and I'll just throw to the panel what you guys thought about comments from Secretary of State Pompeo saying that there would be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. Joe, I'll let you take that. I, you know, I, I, Mike Pompeo is so arrogant that he probably thought he was, he was being funny. It's not funny. There's nothing funny about what's going on here. Uh, when the Secretary of State, um, whose job it is to export democracy, starts undermining it from the. Well, I'll jump in because it looks like Joe froze on us real quick. Um, but when the Secretary of, State is, when Secretary of State is undermining us and he has a position on the world stage, I think that's a problem. Um, don't worry, though, January 20th, um, the Secret Service agents will be there to walk um, uh, Donald Trump out of the White House, put him on a helicopter and take him wherever he wants to go in the entire world. So Joe, can you join us again? Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. I'm here. I, I, uh, what I was saying was, um, you know, uh, Pompeo was so arrogant that, you know, he thinks he can say something and it has no consequences. It does to say it as the secretary of state from the podium in the state department undermining democracy um, is a disastrous position. I think what it reflects, though, um, is Republican politics right now. Uh, they, every Republican in the country is afraid to cross so-called Trump voters. They won't show any leadership. Mike Pompeo and about a, two dozen other Republicans think they're going to run for president in 2024, and they believe they can't win uh, without uh, the so-called Trump voter. And they're probably right. Um, you know, we are a divided country, uh, and I think Republicans will continue to cater uh, to the kind of um, policies and rhetoric that Donald Trump, um, uh, his presidency characterized. Uh, and, you know, that's going to be a challenge for the for the new president. So really quickly, the last two questions, I was watching CNN's uh, Fareed Zakaria, and he was talking about a possible pathway for President Trump to still remain president. As you know, uh, the electors still have to uh, cast that vote, and Congress has to uh, congregate on January 6th. And if there was some way that they tried to delegitimize that by bringing up irregularities, and I'm just trying to summarize, and it goes to the House in each single state, cast their vote and looking at swing states that have Republican legislat uh, legislators, um, then obviously going more towards rep Republicans, he was trying to outline this pathway that um, President Trump would thereby accept and remain uh, in office. Uh, what likelihood do you see for this pathway? Um, Joe, you can go first. 
Yeah, it's you know, it is not likely. Um, I think the electors have to be elected and announced well before um, uh, January 20th. And if for whatever reason, a few states try to do this, this will immediately be, uh, go to the Supreme Court. It's not constitutional. Uh, the leader of the Pennsylvania Senate, a Republican, said today that he wasn't planning to mess with the electors. That's not their role. Um, will Trump try it? Will Republicans try it? They might. Uh, but even a Supreme Court of six to three, uh, it's very unlikely uh, that they would, given that there is no evidence of voter fraud, that they would um, uh, second uh, this sort of extra constitutional act. And last question, and I'll throw this all to the panel. What work do you all think is left for the Democratic Party to do moving forward, particularly when you consider that there are runoff races in Georgia for control of the Senate? Brian, start first. I mean, you know, that's Senate runoff is, those are it. That's the, that's where work is. And just me and you guys show up. Yeah. Folks, you know, want to phone bank. They want to send messages. Like anyone that wants to see a Democrat control the Senate and see a Democratic agenda get through, I mean, it hinges on those two races and it cannot be more important. So, you know, looking over the next month, that's the thing that, that matters more than anything else. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I think you're going to get a unanimous, I mean, listen, and I, I, I think everything that the Republican Party is doing, not Donald Trump, but the Republican Party is doing is, is geared towards juicing up the base for January 5th. The blessing about January 5th, and I don't know if Joe and Brian remember this, but this is a weird time to have a runoff. The last time that we had a winter runoff like this was December 12th and we actually won in Alabama. And so there is an opportunity with the turnout mechanism um, to go out and do great things. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I know a lot of people want to go to Atlanta um, and, you know, and do everything there is to do in Atlanta, but I'm going to spend a lot of time in making Columbus, Augusta, Savannah um, to make sure that we <laughs> get some more, get some more juice out of that squeeze. Plus my wife then let me go to Atlanta by myself, Joe. <laughs> well, smart woman. Anyway, uh, the, uh, I mean, I think that uh, Trump's strategy here and Republican strategy may backfire because both bases will be juiced. And the, uh, one of the big differences between 2018 and 2020 was Donald Trump's name was on the ballot in 2020. That had an, a, a material impact on how many uh, people came out and voted. 2018 was a blue wave because in, in part because Donald Trump's name wasn't on the ballot. His name won't be on the ballot. Um, in uh, January, it'll just be the four people who are running, and I, you know, I it's I'm hard pressed to see um, the Republican base being more motivated than the Democrats. And Bakari's right; it's it's coming during the holiday season where you know turnout is going to be lower. I mean, um, uh, uh, the race that we won in Alabama, I think the senator got six hundred and thirty thousand votes and won. He got 900,000 votes plus this time and lost. So, um, you know, turnout will be different and um, it, it will be a this will be a nationalized race. It's going to go one way or the other. Uh, I don't think there's a width of difference between the two Republican candidates. Uh, they're both going to win or they're both going to lose. Well, we call it a quick caucus for a reason. Definitely appreciate all of you contributing your thoughts and your insights. So for Brian Kahn, Joe Lockhart and Bakari Sellers, thank you for joining this quick caucus on the state of the Democratic Party and transformation and power. This has been Josina with Undefined with obviously yours truly, Josina Anderson. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. 
So we have a surprise pop-in to Undefined with Josina Anderson for this episode seven. Lions running back Adrian Peterson joining me real quick. What's up? Not much, not much. How you doing? Well, I'm glad that you don't have uh, Frosted Flakes dropping out your mouth because I know you were having cereal right before you came. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so listen, real, huh, what were you about to say? I got a couple of bananas in there too, so that's kind Don't of Let me try to make it more nutritious it. than it wasn't, so stop it. No one's trying to hear that. <laughs> whole bunch of sugar so anyways mm. real quick um you have the lions have a big game coming up against uh the washington football team um i have read that you are particularly looking forward to this matchup um you want to uh, elaborate on that um just old teammates you know it, obviously there's a lot of talking and jawing back and forth when you're going against your defense so to have the opportunity to like to finally go against these guys i'm looking forward to it mm, but i heard you said that you also wanted to show them what they missed yeah, of course. You know, um, I think that that's with anyone, you know, that gets released or traded from a team, uh, you know, when they play that team, you know, they, they want to give them, you know, put their best in and show them, hey, maybe you should have kept me around. <laughs> yeah, well, Antonio Gibson uh, did have a big 100 plus yard game against Dallas. He's averaging 4.3 yards uh, per carry. Um, you know, mm -hmm. do, do you do you feel like things would have been different, perhaps, if you had been there because they've gone through some uh, injuries at quarterback and some quarterback carousel um, <laughs> uh, situations there? Yeah, it's been kind of a difficult role for them this year with the quarterback situation. And, you know, I think up front, you know, guys have been kind of hurt um, as well, you know, but, you know, Gibson is a guy I can't, you know, take anything away from him, you know, just try to help him develop as a, as a rookie coming in. So, you know, I'm always, you know, excited to see him have success. So what do you feel like you're going to do? I mean, because we know you always got 100-plus rushing yard games in you. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. they've got Chase Young and all these people on the other side, though. So what, what do you feel like you can get done against the Washington football team uh, on Sunday? I feel like, you know, as a group, we can get some things done individually, you know, uh, you know, all depending on the opportunities that I have. And I feel like we'll be able to have success. You know, the guys up front, you know, have been doing a great job here the past two weeks. So just kind of building off of that. You know, when the opportunity presents themselves, just taking advantage of it. So, you know, I feel like we'll have success. I want you to go ahead and tell my audience exactly what you did for the entire uh, offense on, on the active roster for the Lions. Well, um, I had the opportunity to uh, link up with Aventon, and um, I was able to hook these guys up with some bikes. And, uh, you know, people, you hear bikes, think, oh, it's not that big of a deal, but these bikes are like, uh, oh, I know Rose you got Royce. them the Maybach of bikes. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, so it's it's there's some amazing bikes. The guys were pretty excited about it. Not pretty, they were ecstatic. They're still talking about it, you know, to this day. You know, they were pretty wired up about about this bike that they were able to receive. It's, ele it's electric. It's not just like a regular old, you know. Yeah, it's electric, but you can use... you. Can, yeah, you can. It's, it has paddle assistance, so you can ride it like a regular bike. Or if you want paddle uh, pedal assistance, you can you know bump that up. There's different levels, different gears you can you can use, and um, and it's also electric, so you can just if you don't want to pedal at all, you can just. So if you want to be lazy you know, and get actually no cardio, no yep. exercise benefit from it, you could just sit and chill. <laughs> yep, you can do that as well. <laughs> All right, well, listen, we just wanted to talk to you real quick. We appreciate you popping in in advance of the game against uh, the Washington football team. So take care of yourself and stop eating cereal. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I will. Take it easy. All right, bye. 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 <laughs> 
So I hope you guys appreciated that drive-by interview with Lions running back Adrian Peterson. We'll see how Detroit does against his former team, the Washington football team. Uh, coming up on our next episode, we have a special musical guest that should be joining us. So stay tuned to find out who that is. And of course, we'll be talking about a variety of things to entertain the multiple interests that you have. I appreciate you guys joining me for Undefined with Josina Anderson. We'll talk to you guys next time.